I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. As non-monogamous people, we are questioned all the time. Do you guys ever get jealous? We're going to explain that today, as well as our personal feelings on jealousy and the polar opposite of jealousy, compersion. But before we get to that, we want to say a very big thank you to altplayground.net. It is an amazing lifestyle community unlike any other. There are so many sites out there that are just about the hookup, and Alt Playground understands that having amazing features and allowing you to really delve into the world of non-monogamy will help you have a more enriched experience. They have things like video profile pictures, the forums, and communities. We have one, so you should definitely find us on there and find all of the fun at altplayground.net today. We also want to give a very big thank you to Promescent. If you are looking for bedroom wellness products, and why would you not be, you should head to promescent.com. That is P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com. We love their flagship product, the Delay Spray, which will help you elongate your fun time in the bedroom for you penis-owning listeners. And they have an array of other amazing products that we hope you'll check out. If you use our promo code FRONTPORCH, you'll get 15% off of your entire order, so make sure that you check it out today. So, sex in the news. I have an interesting one, and I think it'll be especially interesting coming from a male perspective versus a female perspective. Oh, I can't wait. I don't even know what this is. So, Kinkly is one of my absolute favorite places to go for sex-related news. I absolutely love their articles. They're very female-centric. So, you know, sometimes their articles are maybe not quite as well-balanced for the male reader, but... I, being a female, love them. So this will be interesting. Okay. So they talk about a company out there that was trying to validate an authentic female orgasm. Okay. It was a company called Relita Limited. I will also note mostly male-owned. Just throwing that out there okay. as we talk through this. Basically, the company wrote um, that they were trying to validate an authentic female orgasm by measuring changes in heart rate in order to tell when a vulva owner was having an orgasm and use this data to test the efficacy of sex products. So it, they have come under a ton of fire for this for a couple of reasons. One, because a lot of people are saying just measuring heart rate isn't going to be the determining factor of whether someone has an orgasm or not. But probably the larger issue is that it feels very mansplainy. It feels kind of like there's a bunch of men who want to test this out for the purpose of making profit off of sex toys rather than truly understanding the female orgasm and putting out research that could be helpful to a lot of different people. So the company that's doing this is relatively male-owned company. Are they a sex toy company? It's a, I believe they are a research company backed by sex toy companies. Okay, so so obviously the sex toy manufacturers are trying to determine the efficacy of various products. And these guys think that they can do that by replicating the female orgasm based on heart rate and who knows what other metrics that is their main metric yes so heart rates their main metric yes it's they're not limited to it but that is definitely the one that they're focusing in on i'm curious i would be curious to know why they think that heart rate is the go-to for this 
experiment? What makes them think that? Is there any scientific backing that they, they note? Well, interesting that you should mention that. So Nicole Pross, who's a PhD for Liberos LLC, mentions that she does not believe that heart rate is a good effective measure of orgasm. In fact, there are many women whose heart rate doesn't change at all. So I think right. it's what's happening here is it is a very narrow view and I feel like, I mean, it's a waste of resources, right? Well, it's not only a gigantic waste of resources. I feel like it's really a, it just shows a level of ineptitude that kind of surprises me. Do you feel like it's misogynistic? It certainly could be conceived that way. I mean, particularly since, as you said, most of the testing folks are male. Uh, that could just be a coincidence. I don't know, unless there's a room full of moronic dudes that think we could figure this out because we're going to test heart rate because we've never made an or- a woman orgasm before. So we're going to go ahead and, and do this scientifically. That's what, what I conjure up in my mind when you tell me that there's a, a bunch of guys that are trying to do this. I envision a, a bunch of guys that have been living in their mother's basement s- until they're 40 and not ever having made a woman orgasm or brought a woman to orgasm, having very little idea what that really means, whether, you know, a woman has to have clitoral stimulation or penetrative stimulation. Yeah, or what but they're not it, trying like, to determine what makes a woman come. Well, that's they are my trying point. to measure an orgasm. Well, yeah, but don't you have to know how to do that first? Like, don't you have to have some idea of how to make a woman orgasm before you can measure it? Like, you have to be able to read a tape measure before you can actually use one. Okay, yes. I see it as a very different issue. I see it as... For men, orgasms tend to be more simplistic. Sure. For women, and you think about the fact that they're, for example, yes, men have their, you know, their testicles and their shaft and and there's multiple parts of it. But for women, the ways in which you can orgasm happen in a plethora of different ways based on the physiological makeup of your genitalia. So I think the idea of just measuring one thing is very similar to the idea of, well, if I penetrate a woman, she's going to orgasm. It's a very narrow view. And it's based on the fact that I think a lot of times Times penis owning people don't want to really understand a woman's pleasure. That's what I see it as, and maybe that's maybe that's being um, overly harsh on these people. But as soon as I read it, that's what I thought. I don't know. I mean, I guess part of it. Once again, I, I go back to a room full of guys that I envision being very excited about the prospect of doing this, t- running this <laughs> test, because they have no knowledge of how to do exactly what it is they're attempting to replicate. And so not having that intimate knowledge is almost forcing them to use these ridiculous methods. I mean, the idea of heart rate, you know, listen, it's like a, a lie detector test, a polygraph, right? You can beat a polygraph. Right. But you absolutely can. It measures heart rate. It measures all kinds of changes physiologically in the body. Well, if you're a complete sociopath, you're not going to change anything. Nothing changes. So it, it really, it's biological. You can't, you can't do that. That's not a, that just doesn't make sense. Everyone's biology is different. Yes. You know, so that doesn't work for me. I think this is kind of horseshit. I'm, well, going, I'm going with horseshit. I think of just women I personally have been with. I think they express orgasms in a multitude of different ways. We actually uh, have a friend who this weekend let just us experienced know, it. Yeah. Let us know that she knows that she has orgasmed when she sweats behind her knees. Yes. That has nothing to do with heart rate. It is so interesting. I've never heard that before. But I think that is proof that women are very complex in terms of their pleasure and how their pleasure is is expressed outwardly. Well, there's no question that women's the the idea of a woman have reaching orgasm is far more complex than it is for a man reaching orgasm. That is that's not you know that's not news. 
everybody knows that. The idea that they are relying what's seemingly almost exclusively on the the idea of heart rate just kind of shows that they don't really have a clue. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons I personally seek out female-owned or female-designed sex toy companies. I think that there's a, a certain level of mindfulness that goes into it when it's a woman who understands her own body and then can express said pleasure to whoever is designing toys and also to educate people that are coming to their site. I feel like if you go to this site and they're explaining to you how you should be experiencing pleasure and they tell you if your heart rate isn't up, you're going to go, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And that's dangerous. So I think there's something to be said for companies that are either female owned or have a very female centric voice in terms of the decision making of the toy companies. That's very important to me personally. Yeah. I mean, listen, we have right now as we speak to amazing sex toys charging downstairs on our kitchen counter that were sent to us by two amazing women in that space. Well, one of them who helped design them. Exactly. One of them was the designer of those products. So yeah, there's definitely something to it. It just just makes sense that you'd want, you know, if we're talking about how to make a woman orgasm, I don't want to hear about that from a guy. Yes, exactly. That's my entire point of this whole thing. It feels very, as I said, mansplainy. Yeah, I don't, you know, I just don't think a guy needs to tell me what it takes for a woman to orgasm. I have a real hard time with that. Yeah. You know, that that's it's definitely mansplainy. It's also very ignorant, I think, to some degree. I don't think you can get away with that. Well, they're trying, but it is what it is. I think... Well, uh, best of luck, but I don't see it happening. <laughs> it's once again one of those things where you should really do your research, especially if you're buying a high-end sex toy, right. about why they created that sex toy, why it's designed the way that it is, and what it's going to bring to the table for you as a vulva-owning person if you're the one purchasing it. Well, first and foremost, it's important that that the woman purchasing or using this partic- any particular toy learn and have an understanding of what works for her. And once she makes that determination, she can better determine what toys to use, what's going to work. Is again, whether it's a clitoral stimulation or a penetrative st- stimulation. Or both or simultaneously. Both simultaneously. Yeah. yeah, it's that's the kind of thing it, that's a, it's important for a woman to know, and a man is not going to be able to tell her that. Amen. Yeah, that's not a thing. No, I don't. If listen, if here's the thing, I'm a firm believer in that. If you're a guy, you just shut up and listen. You really shouldn't be giving too much information. When it comes to female sex toys, of for course. Sure. Yeah, when it comes to male yeah. sex toys, it's different. Uh, totally different. Yeah, absolutely. But don't try to tell a woman how she's going to orgasm. That's yeah. a bad plan. Yeah. That's if you bad. ever want to make a woman orgasm, don't tell her how. That's <laughs> no, not a good plan. Yeah, that's a bad plan. <laughs> it will go very badly, at least with me. <laughs> Terribly. In my experience, it's going to end badly for you. So we are talking about a topic today that we get asked about constantly. I think part of it is that we are a non-monogamous couple and people question how we make our relationship work without allowing today's topic to destroy our relationship. And that's jealousy. Yeah, we just actually did an interview yesterday with a uh, interviewer who didn't have a lot of knowledge about the world of ethical non-monogamy. And of course, one of the first questions that comes up is how do you keep from being jealous? And if you do get jealous, how do you deal with it kind of thing? And of course, how how a couple like us deals with it is very different, I think, from how a you know, a vanilla couple would deal with it or a monogamous couple would deal with it. So we're going to talk through how we personally deal with it here in a moment. But the first thing I want to cover is a concept that we talk a lot about when it comes to jealousy, which is this idea of toxic monogamy. Okay, toxic monogamy to me can look like a lot of different things, but the one that comes to mind immediately is the concept of I show love 
and affection for my partner by showing jealousy. Right. It's that concept of if I love you, I don't want you to interact with other people or even sometimes look at other people. And I'm going to express my anger or frustration with you doing that. And that's how I'm going to show that I care. Yeah. And conversely, if I am not jealous, then I must not care. Right. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the obvious, which to me is a is a ridiculous concept. It, it is. There is absolutely plenty of proof that we are not capable of only being attracted to one person. That is not a thing. No, it's in fact, it's biological proof. It's it, not just. Uh, it's also unhealthy. It's to, not to, anecdotal. <laughs> no, it's it's not it's not a healthy way to, to try to exist either. Because what you know what happens? You build up resentment, right? And if you have that resentment, then anger. Right, all the all those things take place once you start to harbor those feelings, and the idea of being able to express yourself without malice really shouldn't be an issue. I, I don't see why it should be a problem. Well, not only that, but to to expect your partner to never be attracted to another person is, of course. I mean, I would hope. I say, of course. I hope everyone listening knows that that's complete. A person is incapable of doing that. Yeah, it doesn't so make sense. If your partner is attracted to somebody else. Does that mean you don't want them to ever say or express that to you? I want to be in a relationship, I know, especially now that we're in the world that we're in, we live the relationship that we do, that I want you to tell me everything. I want to know it all. Well, not, it's also not being not just being attracted to someone. Finding someone attractive and being attracted to someone are also two different things. Oh, explain that. Well, you can find someone attractive, right? I mean, there are plenty of men that I find attractive. I'm not attracted to them. Clearly an attractive person. Just like women. There's plenty of women that I think, well, she's an attractive So you gal. find them aesthetically pleasing, but you don't necessarily lust after them. Right. There are plenty of women that I find attractive. I would say that's a you know, that's an attractive woman. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm I I physically want to engage with her right. or that she's necessarily even the type of woman I would normally be attracted to. It might be a situation where I might say to you, That's not normally a woman I'd be attracted to, but she's actually very pretty. I mean, it's really no more complicated than that it's quite innocent actually but not, to not be able to express yourself and admit that you find other people attractive i think we talked about this once before like it's like saying you know i find the mona lisa attractive it's a pretty painting it's a you know i'm really drawn to that painting but i don't like any other paintings right right or you're not allowed to like any other paintings because you like the mona lisa it, it doesn't make a lot of sense so let's talk through our personal experiences with jealousy either in previous relation, well, I should say both in previous relationships and in our relationship. Sure. And I think you should start because you have a lot more relationship experience than me. And you also have a very different view on jealousy in general than I do. Yeah, I find, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get some some heat about this, but I find jealousy to be a wasted emotion. I don't think jealousy, it, it shouldn't be something that you burn any calories on. It doesn't make sense, right? It's one of those things that you you don't really garner anything from it. No one ever wins and no one ever really benefits from jealousy. It's an ugly thing. Whether you're jealous of your partner's attraction to someone else or you're jealous of your neighbor's new car, that jealousy just doesn't work. It's jealousy, it's envy. You know, those are things that just don't make a lot of sense to me. They don't benefit you in any way. They eat you up. And if your partner is jealous, for example, of something you've said or you've done based on your perceived attraction to someone. And maybe, again, just as innocent, as simple as, wow, that's a really attractive person. You know, that's a, I think that's an internal thing. I think the person that feels that jealousy has a little bit of self-confidence issues. You know, I think that's where that stems from a lot of times. 
I personally don't have, I'm not a jealous person, as you know. I have no, I don't possess a jealous bone. I just don't understand it. So right. for me, it doesn't work. And in past relationships, it has absolutely been the root of complete destruction. I find it unattractive. I find it an unattractive quality. Right. Particularly when it's really extreme. Why do you find it unattractive? What is it specifically about that that detracts you? It makes me feel like the person who is exhibiting that level of jealousy, I think there are deeper there are deeper issues there, mm-hmm. you know? And just saying that they're really, especially when you're overreacting, someone overreacts to jealousy. I've seen this with friends, vanilla friends, or, or let's call them monogamous friends. N- not being able to, to even look someone in the eye, not being able to look in someone's direction for fear that they're going to be, you know, they're going to be accused of staring at another woman. The idea of significant others going through their phones, going through their emails to be sure that they're not corresponding with someone else. To me, that level of that extreme, that extreme behavior really speaks to some other things. And, and I just, I find it, I find it disturbing. So let's break down what you said, because I think we may be talking about two different types of jealousy, in my opinion. Well, for me, jealousy, there, there's, there's jealousy, obviously, and then there's envy, right? But when it comes to jealousy in between a couple, let's, let's stick to that. If you're a if you're a couple and no, you, but I, I still think you're talking about two different types of jealousy. So you mentioned two different things. One is a lack of comfort, in my opinion, in the relationship. It's a lack of confidence in the relationship. That's when right. you see people going through phones, going through emails, you know, checking up on their partner. What that is is a deep seated trust issue. For sure. And that's something that needs to be worked through between the couple. I think that there typically that happens, not always, but typically those things happen because of something that has happened in the past that is still sitting as this little voice in the back of your head going something's not right or he or she or they are going to do something again that's going to hurt me it's a a certain fear that you have and you feel like you have to hold on to control in order to somehow keep the relationship together that's a that's a pretty extreme form of jealousy there's another type of jealousy which i actually see as a healthy thing if you express it in the right way. And we often refer to it as gut check moments. It's not necessarily this angry distrust. It's more so something happens and it makes me feel a certain way. And I think that type of jealousy is both normal and healthy if it's handled in the right way. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I, I will challenge you on the idea that someone has been wronged in some way, and then that's why they behave a certain way. While that's certainly possible and happens often, I can tell you from experience, I dealt with that from a partner who had no history of 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 that issue. They were not wronged in any way by a, by a former partner. There was no adultery. There was none of that. It was something that this person thought was simply how, it, she just thought that's how it was done. It was ingrained in her as a, as a child and a young person that the idea that if someone is, if you're with someone, you should be able to do these things and behave that way. And that's just normal. Some people grow up in that environment. Yeah, oh, for sure. Now, I'm there's sure no that's question that someone in her past dealt with something traumatic. Of course, it's still a certain level of toxicity right. that exists because they, he or she or they are unable to trust other people. Right. But it was, and it was most likely passed down, but... I do think that some folks are just wired that way. Sure. And 
I can never wrap my head around it. Mainly because I am not, I've never been a jealous person. As you know, I have zero jealousy in me. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. Sure. But do you understand what I'm saying? That to me, they are two different types of yeah, jealousy. Our, what we refer to as gut check moments are very different. And we can talk about that because we, you've experienced it. I've experienced them multiple times. I was just going to say, I, so obviously for those of you listening, we're now on episode six of Sex on Your Terms. So I'm sure you know by now that we are a consensually non-monogamous couple. So I have seen you engage with women sexually on many different occasions. And there was one specific occasion, which we've talked about on our other podcast, from Port Swinger, so I won't go into great detail about it, but we had engaged with her together earlier in the day, yeah. and then I saw you grab her hand, yes. and you were holding her hand. You were walking her past some ice, but even after you got past the ice, you continued to hold onto her hand. This was someone who, an hour before, you were engaged with sexually. While you were also engaged sexually with us in the same room at the same time and participating. And yeah, absolutely. So this to me was not an angry, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's holding her hand type of a situation. It was more so, oh, I don't necessarily love the way this feels and I need some time to really compartmentalize and think about how, how it makes me feel as well as how I communicate to you how it makes me feel so that we can move forward in a very healthy and productive manner. Well, yeah. And, and to your credit, and of course, I think it's a credit to our relationship, in the moment, you didn't say anything. No. Because I didn't know anything about it until we had gotten home. Right. I had no idea. And it's only after we had parted ways with our friend that you were like, hey, you kind of laughed about it. Like, I, I got to tell you something. Like, I'm not really sure what this means. And then we kind of walked through the scenario. We Again, we laughed about it. We found it amusing. But the truth of the matter is, as many times as we had seen or you had seen me with other people and I had seen you with other people sexually, what you had never seen was me hold another woman's hand. Right. It was that simple. No more complicated than that. And I think that gut check moment can easily go in one of two very different directions. It can, it can either go towards, okay, I'm going to think about this and then I'm going to calmly explain it and we're going to talk about it. We're going to potentially set some future boundaries or we're going to, as a couple, figure out how we make this work going forward. Or you fly off the handle, you scream, you call him a you jerk, whatever, whatever it may be. You detach yourself from the logic and you allow emotion to take over. And I think that that is that little split between logic and emotion is the most important thing you can possibly consider when you're experiencing any type of jealousy. Well, I think it's important. We tell people this all the time, the conversations we have about jealousy and if it's legitimate jealousy, you really need to take a moment before you say anything or do anything. Right. You've got to take a second to compose yourself and to and to really take it in because the the next words you utter or the next action is really going to make the biggest difference. That that could change everything in your relationship. I often tell people to sleep on it. Yeah, so have- well, yes. However, we also know from experience with some folks that as soon as something ha- like some people could have taken what you, what you saw me holding a woman's hand who was a friend of ours, a, you know, a sexual friend of ours, holding her hand, crossing some ice to be sure she wasn't going to slip could take that and really turn it into something and and really harbor that throughout the course of the evening and create other issues where there are none. And like you say, sleep on it, but then the rest of the evening, it's awkward, it's silent. It's It doesn't have you know, to be. No, we it certainly doesn't. didn't make it that way. Well, no, but we talked about it right away. As but soon as we had parted ways, 
with her. So we didn't we didn't allow that situation to fester and boil over. Obviously, you approached me with it right away. We wasted no time with it. And I think that's important for us. We can do that. I think couples like us can do that. Maybe, as you say, some couples need to sleep on it. But I think it's important not to harbor it and create issues where there aren't any. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think jealousy has a really interesting way of, it's very similar to, I read this book once that was talking about relationships in general, and they were talking about sweeping things under a rug, you know, that that old saying, if you sweep things under the rug, and if you sweep things under the rug long enough, you get a, a lump, and then it's like you're tripping over the lump, and you're constantly tripping over things going on in your relationship. Jealousy is very much the same way. I only say sleep on it because sometimes you really do need that time to digest everything that has happened and not allow the emotional reaction to take over. And a lot of times if you can detach yourself a little bit from it and think about it from almost a a third party view, that's when you can really understand how it is you communicate it to your partner in a respectful way. Yeah. I mean, some people need that time and and they can work, uh, they work well with that time. They don't, they don't turn that into something else by it being an awkward or, or tense rest of the evening kind of thing. Or maybe there's alcohol involved and you've had a couple of drinks and you don't want to have that conversation without a completely clear head, all those things are possible. And back to what you said about sweeping things under the rug, I think when you do that, it's a lot like telling a lie, right? You tell enough lies and you start to forget what it was you're even lying about, they compound and then it's virtually impossible to get out from under it. If you keep sweeping something under the rug, you keep sweeping your feelings under the rug, your emotions under the rug, or your jealousy issues, whatever they may be, they're going, it's going to fester eventually. And then it's like all of this comes out as opposed to dealing with it in small doses. You now have to deal with it in this, this large pile of stuff, right? which makes it that much more difficult to untie. Yes. So specifically in the scenario that we're discussing, when I came to you and told you that I didn't love that you held this woman's hand, what was your reaction? What are your thoughts about it now that we're several months removed from it? Well, in the well, of course, in the immediate... I had to laugh based on the scenario, obviously, right? The the circumstances under which I came to hold her hand. The evening started with the three of us engaging sexually. So we then went to dinner afterwards and I was holding her hand as I was yours crossing over a patch of ice. So when I thought of it in the moment, I thought, well, you... That was, of everything that happened tonight, that was the piece that you got kind of gut checked about. Like, that's the part that was the problem. So I found it amusing to begin with. But of course, after thinking about it, as I just mentioned, it makes perfect sense. Because while you have seen me with women before, you've been there, you've seen, you know, you've seen me interact with women physically, you had never seen me simply hold a woman's hand. Yeah, I don't necessarily think in our specific scenario it was because I had never seen it before. I think it was because of the level of intimacy. Well, sure. And I think that that's really important, especially for any of you lifestyle couples listening. That's something that's really important to note is the eroticism of seeing your partner with someone else or engaged with someone else in any sexual capacity is a very different thing than true intimacy. And a lot of times when you, especially as the vanilla outside world thinks of something like consensual non-monogamy, you immediately assume that you're going to not like your partner engaging with other people. No, that's the part that's really hot for the majority of us. Well, it's the easy part. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's the part also that's less emotional. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, again, it's, there's a difference between being sexual with someone, being erotic with someone, and then being intimate with someone. Right. We tell people all the time, we have sex with other people. We are intimate with one another. Right. That's the difference. And, and there's, it's, no, it's the same as love is one thing, sex is another. People can't separate those things. You be, have to be able to separate intimacy and eroticism. 
Right. You have to be able to separate those things. They're two very different things. And in this particular case, you found my holding her hand intimate. Right. It was an intimate act. It right. Was. It's something you do for someone that you care about. Right. right? And now I've said it before. It could have been your mother or my mother crossing that patch of ice. I'd have done the same thing. Would have felt differently to you, obviously. But it's an intimate thing when you're doing it with someone with whom you're you know you're not related necessarily, but you've just been sexual with. Yeah, it's the compounding of the sex with the intimacy. Right. That's what a lot of people struggle. Well, with. that's an interesting question. So had we not been in been sexual with her earlier and had that erotic time together with her and then went to dinner. Had we just gone to dinner with our friend and not been our vanilla friend? No, no, no. That we had never been intimate with before? No, no. Our friend that we had been intimate with before, but we had just had dinner with her. Would you have felt the same way? Yes, because there's still a sexual component there and it still feels intimate because you've been sexually active with her. Well, I think what I'm asking you is, did the, the earlier sexual engagement... Did that have anything to do with how you felt later? I was don't there know. was it a little, were you a bit more sensitive simply because you know you got the endorphins r- running? We just had this really kind of erotic you know time together, and then we had a, so we went from erotic to vanilla to benign. We went from very sexually charged to having dinner with a friend, and then that happened after all of that. So was it maybe a situation where? You came down from the, you know, from the excitement of the the time that we spent with her sexually. And because that you had that time, we had dinner and things calmed down, that maybe you were affected a little bit more by it. Never thought about that. I've never thought about that either. I have no idea. Um, I, you know, obviously we've only experienced that one time. So it's pretty much impossible for me to gauge it based on any other experience. It's possible. And I think that that's something that lifestyle couples really need to consider, especially when you get into deep friendships with the people that you are engaging with sexually, as do a lot of lifestyle couples. They are not just going out and engaging sexually. They are going to dinner. They are going to barbecues. They are going to concerts. And so there are going to be those times when the two worlds collide in ways that may make people feel uncomfortable. Well, think of this for a second. We just spent a really an awesome weekend with some friends, with lifestyle friends with whom we have become very, very close friends. They're to be dear friends of ours forever was there at any point during this weekend where you felt that same kind of gut check moment that whole that hand holding moment let's call it quote unquote she and i were cooking together was that a problem no so did you so is it something that you think you'll you don't have a concept of that it won't feel like you won't feel that again see that's the problem though what you just outlined is the problem it's not logical when you have no, those of course gut not. this check, isn't logical <laughs> when you have those gut check moments when you're they like come out oh, of nowhere i really don't like that and i need to consider why it could come out of nowhere we, yeah. i had the most interesting conversation with a woman a couple of months back who was talking about the fact that her husband has a semi-girlfriend. They've been seeing each other for a while. They go out separately. They go on dates together. So they're more polyamorous potentially? I mean, they're moving in that direction and she's never had any issue with it whatsoever. And the, the girlfriend will come over and have dinner at their place. And the one thing that she really did not like seeing was her husband putting on the jacket for the other woman. Sure. Because that's their thing. She, he always puts her jacket on and helps her get... Buttoned like up I do, if you up. pull your hair out and all yeah. that. Yeah, and for her, it's a very intimate, personal thing. So the idea of him going out and even going on dates with someone is no big deal. But that visual of seeing him do something for another woman that she 
sees in her head as her thing, that was what caused the gut check moment. So I think that's proof that it doesn't have to be a logical thing. It can be an emotional thing that you somehow have to separate the emotions from in order for it to not turn into a tailspin. Well, it's interesting you say that. So without giving too much away, of course, we talked about this on our other show. You recently went on a date with a single gentleman while I was out of town. Yes. And again, without going into it, you went to a place where you and I would ordinarily go, you know, before the world started burning down with COVID, they have just recently opened back up and of course under certain conditions, but it's a place that you and I would frequent. It was yes. one of our favorite haunts. All I'm doing is listening, listening, of course, to the to the story that you're re- retelling for me. And, I'm, you know, obviously it was very exciting and really a, a huge turn on. I thought about it afterwards. It occurred to me that because we are, we often talk about the potentiality of us moving into the polyamorous space. I should say more into the polyamorous space. We definitely flirt with it now. And it's something that we consider a very good possibility down the road for a number of reasons. I thought to myself, if you had a regular playmate, as you do, you have we have regular playmates. Right. But if there was someone specific in our life that we were considering creating a polyamorous relationship with, would I be comfortable with you going to the places that we go to together, places that are our regular hangouts, where we have brunch, where we love to go for dinner, right. where we have coffee. What would it feel like if you were going to those places with someone else as opposed to other places? Right. You know what I mean? So the idea of you dating someone else or going out on a date with someone else doesn't bother me at all, nor did it bother me when you went on a date with this particular gentleman. Or did it bother me based on the place that you went to? But it did occur to me that I might not want you to go to the places that we go to. Interesting. Why? I think for no other reason other than, like you just mentioned, this woman's gut check moment when she saw her husband putting on the jacket of his girlfriend and maybe pulling her hair out from under the collar, which is something I do for you all the time. Probably the same thing. Like, I don't think I want you having brunch at the same place that you and I. Now, if the three of us were going to do it, maybe that's one thing. But you going on a date with another person to our place, you know, quote unquote, our place, that might not be okay with me. I might not be comfortable with that. Is that jealousy? Is that a gut check moment? What is that? No, it's certainly a gut check moment. I think it's one of those, I think it's a reality check moment for sure. Like, I guess what it would be for me is I don't, I, t- I take those things for granted. I take places and, and things we do a lot of times that, you know, for granted, we go to the same place because we're creatures of habit. We like what we like. Right. And while I do, we, we know that about ourselves, I think I take it for granted how important it is to me that we go to those places together, which is probably why we go to those places a lot right. because it's a it's comfort, right? right. We, we know everybody. Everybody knows us. We're comfortable there. We enjoy ourselves. We can be ourselves. So I don't know that I want to necessarily share that with anyone else. Well, and the way that you just communicated that to me is a perfect example of how it can take the emotional out of it. And you can explain to me logically, here's how I see it. And we can discuss later how we set that boundary yeah i'm totally okay with you going out with other people but don't go to x y and z place those are our places okay now i know the expectation and i don't have to tiptoe around it and i don't have to be concerned that you're going to blow up on me because i know where the boundary lies and i think that that's the most important thing with jealousy in general is there can come constructive conversations from it and you can learn as a couple and do better together in the future. Well, it can be productive as opposed to destructive. Right, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but it, it did occur to me that that could, be a, that could be an issue for me. I don't know. I'd have to really give it some thought. I, I might have to experience it. You might have to 
you might have to give it a shot and see what that feels like. I don't know. <laughs> not really sure. But while it did not bother me that you went to the particular place you went to, because we, it, I, that particular place I look at is kind of like the fun zone for us. Yeah. We meet a lot of our lifestyle friends there. So it's not like a super personal place f- for me as it pertains to our relationship. But there are some places that I do feel that way about. And I think that would probably make me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a possibility. That's a gut check moment. Yep. That's a possibility. Yeah. So I, and I think it's important also to talk about what we, you mentioned that we talked to someone yesterday, we did an interview with someone where we talked a lot about jealousy. And one of the concepts that she brought up is, do you guys eroticize jealousy? Do you make jealousy hot in order to be in the non-monogamous world and to really enjoy it? And we talked through that a little bit with her. And basically the conclusion that we came to as we were discussing it with her is it's actually the polar opposite of that for us. 100%. Which is the concept of compersion. Right. And compersion, just so you guys know, like I said, is the opposite of jealousy. It's the idea of you gaining pleasure from your partner's pleasure. Now, this is not just sexual pleasure. This could be one of a million different things. Right. But it's the concept of you want your your partner to experience happy, wonderful things. And as a result of that, you also feel wonderful and happy. Yeah, your your joy comes from their joy is essentially what it is, whether that's a sexual uh, situation or an athletic situation or a professional situation. You want your partner to do well on a specific project at work. You know, it could easily be that. But when it, as it pertains to our relationship, for the most part, the compersion aspect comes from the other partner enjoying uh, a sexual adventure. Right. So for example, when you come back from, it's only happened a couple of times, but you come back from a completely solo session, you come and tell me the details of it. And the glint in your eye, as you're telling me those things, I can tell that you had a very pleasurable experience. And as a result of that, I am legitimately happy for you. Right. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things that lifestyle couples experience. And it really is for the vast majority of us, not everyone, but for the vast majority of the people in the lifestyle, that is what continues continues you on the path of consensual non-monogamy. Sure. You have to be driven in anything, right? To continue on with it and to, you know, to truly appreciate it. And for us, the compersion aspect, for me anyway, the compersion aspect is probably the biggest driver. Well, I think it's even more strong for you than it is for me. So explain that a little bit. Yeah, because, you know, and again, without getting too deep into the different components of you know, ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy or non-monogamy in and of itself. I think I benefit the most from what is referred to as the royalty perk. I like the idea that my partner is sought after and other people find her attractive and they want to be, you know, physical with her. And I derive pleasure from knowing that because at the end of the day, at the end of the evening, you're coming back to me and we are going to have that reconnection. I benefit from all of it. I benefit from your being with other people. I benefit from being with you myself. And so that piece of it, I think, is what drives me the most. The compersion aspect that for me is really knowing that you have enjoyed yourself and then we get to enjoy each other. And I'm going to bring a lot of that energy back to you. That's something that Yeah, that, that energy ex- transference is huge for me. Yeah, you've huge. explained that many times. The idea of I'm almost kind of, and this is maybe not the, the nicest way to put it, but I'm going to put it this way anyway. It's that sucking of energy from another experience and bringing it home for the two of us to enjoy alone. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the absorption of that energy that you have had or, or the connection that you have had with someone else. I can, so 
for those listening who maybe have not experienced this with your partner, you're not a, you know, a non-monogamous couple, potentially you're thinking about it or, or you're not. If you don't understand, if you've never experienced this, then it's difficult to explain, but I, I can explain it this way. Once you have gone and played with someone else, for example, there is a level of energy that takes place. And I can tell by how you behave and react to me when you have come back home, how that session went. I can tell just how excited you were about it. And as you're telling me about it, I can tell that it was a really good experience because of how ex- your energy. Right. And my then, animation, my excitement. Yeah, how animated you are. And then from that experience, I get to pull all of the energy. Right. And that's really that where the, you know, the reclamation really comes in. It, it really takes shape. So here's a question for potentially our listeners right now. Do you feel that a jealous couple can move toward compersion? And if so, how? Yeah, I, I do think it is something you can move towards. We have spoken to couples who have either been, who are either currently in a non-monogamous relationship, but prior to meeting each other were in monogamous relationships that were jealousy riddled on both ends. Both partners were jealous in those relationships for various reasons, then got together and that jealousy just dissipated. I I think a big part of that, and you, you hit on it earlier, trust is a huge piece of that. If you trust the person that you are with, the person with whom you're in a relationship, the rest of it just becomes easy. Communication becomes easier. Jealousy goes out the window. If the trust is there, there's really no, what reason, how does, how does jealousy live in an environment where there is 100% trust? Yeah, it creeps in, but I think if you can have an the open gut check moments creep it. in. The gut check moments, I think, can always creep in. Right. Again, you take us, for example. We are an ethically non-monogamous couple. You had a gut check moment, and I just considered potentially the way that I might have one that never really occurred to me before. Yeah. So while those things I think are healthy, mainly because you get to flush them out for yourself. You know, it's something you learn about yourself. Right. But if there's trust, if there's absolute unmitigated trust in a relationship, there is no room for, for jealousy. Right. Not jealous, not, not in its purest form. Jealousy should not exist in a trustful place. Yeah, and I think that concept alone is the reason that we always recommend to people who are monogamous not to get into the lifestyle until you are at a place of complete transparency, honesty, and trust in your relationship. We don't just say that because those are the buzzwords. It's the honest to God truth. If you are lacking any of those things in your relationship and you go into a non-monogamous dynamic anyway, it is a recipe for disaster because you are, we, we say this all the time, the the world of non-monogamy has a way of shining a spotlight on anything going on in your relationship, or I should say magnifying anything. Yeah. So if there are good things going on in your relationship, if you have great communication and great trust and great sex, all of those things are magnified by being in the lifestyle and vice versa. Yes. If you have toxic things happening in your relationship, they are also going to be magnified and they're going to be brought to the surface and it is going to be in many ways, probably the downfall of many, many relationships. There's no question. It will be the, it's the antithesis of damage to a relationship that is already damaged. If you think that you're going to get into a lifestyle of ethical non-monogamy to repair a damaged relationship, that is the quickest way to ensure its demise. Right. That you can you can absolutely 100% bank on the fact that that relationship is doomed. If you're trying to fix it by becoming ethically non-monogamous, you don't it just doesn't make sense to just don't even bother. 
Yes, I think that's a situation where it is a perfect time for you to take a more serious and deep look at your relationship and work on it. I think a lot of times what happens, we have so many people that reach out to us because of our other podcast, Front Porch Swingers, that say, how can I talk my partner into a non-monogamous dynamic? Terrible question. First of all, you can't talk your partner into anything you shouldn't. That's coercive and horrible. But the other side of that is we always ask, what kind of relationship do you have now? Do you have a healthy sex life? Are you guys communicating openly and honestly about sex and everything else? else. If the answer to those things is no, you have to go 12 steps back and really seriously work on your relationship in order to get to a point where you're healthy enough to even consider that option. Yeah. The idea, once again, that you are going to repair a damaged relationship by opening up your relationship is simply, it's just ill-conceived. It's not going to work. And we've seen it happen. We've talked to people that have attempted it and it's been tragic. So if you can have an open conversation about anything, finances, sex, religion, politics, whatever, whatever it might be. If you can be 100% open, transparent with your partner without being met with judgment and resentment and all those things, then you can potentially have a conversation about becoming an open you know, couple, but certainly not before then. Yes, absolutely. And as with every topic that we discuss on this show, we understand that all of these things are not something you're just going to fix overnight. It's not something that listening to our show is going to give you all of the answers, which is why we do have all of our coaching services available at sexonyourterms.com. If you'd like some individualized information from us, we love talking to you guys about this, these topics and many others. Yeah, absolutely. It's what we... You know, it's our passion, really. This uh, The lifestyles are our passion. Sexuality is something we're super passionate about. And we just like to help folks along that journey. Absolutely. You can also email us about this episode, provide suggestions for topics, and send us your own questions at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at sexonyourterms. So until next Wednesday, we hope you enjoy Sex on Your Terms.